How powerful are the acts of kindness and human connection? You might think, yeah, kindness can get me through a tough day or kindness can, human connection can get me through a rough spot. But do you think they'd be able to help you, I don't know, travel around Australia for two months nonstop with no money in your pocket yet still having a full belly and a roof over your head every night? Could they help you to walk again? Not once, but twice as an adult. Could kindness and human connection get you through losing a partner to suicide? For Kath Koshel, the answer to all of the above is yes. We've had her on the show before, so if this is the first time you're becoming aware of Kath Koshel, Look, her incredible story began in 2011. Her debut season uh, went, you know, a, a very rising star on the Australian cricket scene. During her debut season, she had a terrible accident on on the field and uh, had two damaged vertebrae, which left her paralysed from the waist down. She was told she'd never walk again. She nearly had a leg amputated, but she got through it. Six months of rehab, she was, she was walking again and there was desperation, there was depression, but she never succumbed to it. She got back on two feet, training for an Ironman. She was hit by a car while riding a bicycle. She had to learn to walk again, again. During one of her stays in rehab, she fell in love with the man who was there and, as you'll hear today, tragically lost him to suicide. And yet none of those things have stopped Kath having a rich, fulfilling life that just showers golden light upon everyone she comes into contact with. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation with Kathco Shell, who's just written a book about her journey when she travelled around the country, kindness, what surviving on the kindness of strangers taught me about perspective, connection and happiness. It's a great read. She's a great human being and I can't wait to get stuck into it with you today. Before I do, though, I'm going to play some ads. I like to pay the team here at the show, maybe because I can't do it myself. And <laughs> uh, they're awesome humans. Back in a moment with Kath Koshel. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So I, you know, was diagnosed with PTSD back in 2012. Part of that comes, you know, you get triggered a lot by certain reminders and it sends you down this emotional path of destruction at times and things like that. And I saw something the other day which really resonated with me. You, your triggers might not be your fault, i.e. something external happened to contribute to your trauma or whatever it is. However, they are your responsibility to heal from. It's not the world's job to tiptoe around your triggers. Part of that comes from self-awareness but also self-acceptance as well. I accept that I have flaws in my DNA. It's my job to work through them so that I can grow and help others or so that people don't have to tiptoe around me and be different. That is author, speaker, 
an absolutely inspirational Australian Casco shell. This is Osher Ginsberg, Better Than Yesterday. Hello, welcome to the show. This is Better Than Yesterday, a podcast here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday. I've been doing it three times a week since 2013, Mondays and Wednesdays with a guest, Fridays with you, just to have a conversation that'll help help you make today better than yesterday by coming across a new idea, concept, tone of voice, something you didn't realize before you heard on this show that'll make your day just a little bit better because that's what we're here to do. All life is growth. There is no moving forward without growing. And if we're not growing, what are we doing? I'm Osha Gisberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm an author. I'm a TV host. Uh, Today, I'm a a charity motorcycle ride rider. uh, And my helmet was just a little bit too tight. It was a a, a new helmet. I didn't fit it properly, obviously. And so I had half an hour into the ride. I'm like, why am I? Why, why am I starting to have a difficulty seeing out of my left eye? <laughs> no, I wasn't getting, uh, you know, my vision wasn't affected, but I started to get a mad headache. But anyway, it was a great bloody ride. Great to meet some people. Uh, it was a distinguished gentleman's ride. And yes, I'm here with you today. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you so much to everyone that came along to Nighttime News Network, National Nightly News, NTNN, NNN. We did a massive show on Friday night. It was the biggest show we've ever done. Uh, our previous record was 100 and something people that came to see the show, which was a sellout. Uh, we did the big room upstairs at the Factory Theatre. I think at last count it was 250, 260. I don't know. It was like at least double what we'd done last as our previous record. So fucking hell, thank you so much for all of your support. Unbelievable fun. It was super duper 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 cool. Uh, we're doing one more show uh, before I go on a bit of a TV break, and that is the 3rd of June in Newcastle. If you want to come along to that, check it. Uh, in the show notes, you'll find the link right there. There might be even some discounts on the tickets if you get in early enough. So get among that. There's uh, not, not the biggest room in Newcastle. There's certainly not 260, 300 people uh, that can fit into that room. So if you want to come along to that gig, you better get right on it because um, tickets are going. It's part of the Newcastle Comedy Festival. Mid-Flight Brawl is on at three in the afternoon. Um, Heggy is on later that night. So make a day of it. Come and check out the boys. Come and say hi to us. Come and say hi to the news team. It's heaps of fun. A lot, a lot of fun. It was really, really cool. I want to tell you about my guest today, Kath Cashel. By gosh, she's been on the show before. And if you've not been aware of her story, she's extraordinary. She's a totally inspirational human being. The challenges that you face, the challenges that I face, that nothing compared to what Kath has been through. In her mid 20s, Kath broke her back, was told she'd never walk again put her life back together, even after being told, oh, we're going to have to amputate one of your legs, by the way. Even if you do walk again, you only have one left. She got through all of that, was training for an Ironman and was hit by a car while she was training, broke her back again, had to learn how to walk again. And look, to give you an idea of the kind of woman that Kath Cashel is, after the court case for the driver of the car that hit her, after his conviction... Kath turned around and said to him, how are you going to get home? I said, I don't know, because he was not allowed to drive. She said, I'll give you a ride. And she, her and her dad gave this man a ride home from court. Like she's the most extraordinary human being. In 2015, Kath founded a place called The Kindness Factory, which is a global nonprofit aimed at inspiring people to perform acts of kindness. Over 4 million acts of kindness have been logged and a half a million dollars raised for charity. In 2016, Kath did something quite special. She embarked on a solo journey around Australia with nothing but the clothes on her back, no money in her pocket, and relying solely on the kindness of strangers. It was an incredible thing that she did. Not one night did she spend out and about. She always had a roof over her head. She always had food in her tummy. And... She's just an inspiring, inspiring human being. Her life is really something that, you know, I I love speaking with Kath because it shakes me awake to the power of kindness and human connection, something that we all missed a lot during COVID. We missed human connection quite a bit and how powerful it really is and why it's good for us to connect with other people and be kind and 
go out of her way to help other people, why it's important. She's an advocate for kindness. She inspires others to embrace the power of empathy and compassion in their lives. And she's very much someone who, she's clearly a very driven person. And her story of how she just never gave up and never gave in to the idea, oh no, you'll never walk again. And went, no, thank you. That answer is not good enough for me. And just kept, kept going. She's just amazing. She's written a book about her uh, big adventure. It's called Kindness, What Surviving on the Kindness of Strangers Taught Me About Perspective, Connection, and Happiness. It's a fantastic read. She's a fantastic human. But I've got to tell you, you can't tell this story without going to some dark places to talk about how kindness got her out of those dark places. So we talk about it all today. We talk about DV. We talk about suicide. uh, We talk about addiction. We talk about big T, little t, trauma sexual trauma. It all happens in the show today. So if you don't feel like listening to that right now, that's okay. Plenty of other episodes to choose from. You can get around Kath and all that she does, kathkoshel.com, K-A-T-H-K-O-S-C-H-E-L, kathkoshel.com. I'm so grateful you get to hear her today. Enjoy the chat. Kath, it's so nice to see you again. How are yeah, you today? Yeah, likewise. You I'm co- good, mate. I'm really good. I'm, yeah. I'm stoked that this book is out because when you came over to our apartment a little while yeah. back and you told me this story, I was like, man, you can you can help a lot of people here and you already are, but when the book comes out, it kind of, le- I guess, it legitimizes things in some people's views and it kind of opens a lot of doors in others and I'm just... Like I, I know it would have been an effort to go through it and relive some stuff, but whew, bloody good stuff, mate. Well done. Thank you. I think it, um, I, I'd just been given my first book deal when we met yeah. and I was all ready to go into it. And I actually used your advice the most. Uh, you probably don't even remember you told me this. You said, write with the door open, edit with the door closed. And when I went through the process last year of actually doing it. Oh, it's, it's the other way around. It's it's right with the right with the door closed, edit with the door open. There is, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah sorry, just buggered that up in, in my own phrasing. But, yeah, which came in very handy because I think, oh, God, I was so nervous. Like, I actually drew, like, I didn't listen to our entire podcast. But I'm pretty sure Osha gave me some pretty handy advice in that thing. I'll just <laughs> listen to the start of it. And that was the first of five offers that I'd had to write the book and yep. said yes. And then I was like, no, nah, I'm, I'm too young. I'm, I'm too naive. I'm not ready for this, all that kind of stuff. And then... Finally felt more ready when Tessa, the wonderful editor, approached me and uh, to, to put pens to paper. But it was so interesting. I was so nervous. I don't know how you felt when you were putting your book out there, but I was so nervous. Uh, yeah, look, and I've got to say, firstly, I've got to say full credit to Benjamin Law, who's the one that told me that, because it gave me permission to understand that there's some things I needed to write to get to the thing that would end up getting published. But that thing probably would never have come out if I didn't walk down the path with the stuff that, you know what, that doesn't have to make. I can still tell this bit without telling that bit, but I wouldn't have got to that bit had I not written this bit. So that goes, and now the, just the good kind of chunky gold remains. Um, yeah. yeah, scary as all, anything. But, uh, you know, for me, I don't know. I've, I've been, I guess, putting myself out there a fair bit. Uh, I've been putting myself out there for a bit with the podcast for a long time and I always thought like if I feel a bit nervous before I hit publish, then it's probably good. Then I've I've been authentic okay. um, as long as I'm not defaming anybody. Uh, you know, if I'm a little <laughs> worried about how, how open I've been being, then that's probably a, and I feel, I still feel like that. I feel like that most Fridays when I do my Friday shows. Um, do you really? Yeah. Cause I think it's, it's important, you know, it's important to be open when you can because uh, it, it models being open for other people, I guess. Yeah, really funny story. I think it really captures the tension. And so obviously you go through 12 months of writing and then you hit, you know, yep, send to editor, it's going to print, no more changes, you can't make any changes. So whatever you've done to this point, then it's, it's gone it. out into the world. So you've got three months then to sit and wait. And then two weeks before it's published, it all starts to ramp up again. Are you ready? Media, podcasts, et cetera. That's when I was like, I started waking up at like three in the morning going, oh. why the hell did I put that in that book? Like that is so vulnerable. That is so raw. So I was, I was more nervous than excited. And then I thought, well, I need to, I want to flip this. I want it to be an enjoyable experience. Yeah. So I went into my favorite bookstore and I said, um, and I knew it would be there because everyone had told me where it would be and all that kind of stuff. But I just wanted that, that moment. So mm. I went in and I'm like, let's flick it from nerves to excitement. 
And I said, oh, g'day. Um, I was wondering, it's not out yet. It's out in a couple of weeks. Are you stocking a book called Kindness? And they said, oh, let, let's have a look. So they go onto their computer and they're typing in. They said, oh, who's the author? Uh, what's their name? And I said, oh, Kath, K-A-T-H and Koshal, K-O-S-C-H-E-L. And so they type it in and they go, yeah, yeah, we've got some coming in. It's not out until the 31st of Jan. And in my head, I start to get like that feeling. I was like, oh, this is really cool. It's going to be in my favorite bookstore. I wasn't then engaged in the conversation that was still happening and like, would you like us to let you know when it comes in? And I agreed to that without even thinking. And then they said to me, so what's your name? Ah. <laughs> and I go, what? And they go, what's your name? I said, well, why do you need to know that? And the woman goes, so that we can let you know when it comes in. And I just was like, I can't now tell them that I'm ah. her. <laughs> so I just, I just go, I go, Erin, Erin Burns is my name and gave my best friend's name and number to the woman. The best. Then I had to call my best friend and go, I'm so sorry, but you're going to get a call. I'll pay for it. I'm so sorry that this has happened. And you'd think that I would have learnt my lesson. I then went into Dimmix, not too far away, did the same thing and told him I was Justine Whipper, another good friend of mine. So <laughs> both of them got really good calls when my book come into a bookstore, not even near them, uh, to let them know that my book that, was in that store. That is so funny, Kat. <laughs> that, is, that is really funny. <laughs> that's for, oh man i get that like i understand that because you kind of want to know you like it's now it becomes this real thing uh and it's this amplification and and legitimization of uh of what it is you're trying to put out there and what it is you're trying to do being published is a really important thing for anything in science it's really important in anything to do with law and in the work you're doing it's really important it's really important because it shows yeah. a, a continuity of trust of all the people involved with the publishing that, yes, we will also put our name behind this. Yeah. And that's, it's really, it's really powerful. Uh, since we've uh, spoke, I've got to say, you know, I've also been thinking a lot, a lot of you, Kath, because uh, if anyone, and I've, I would have said this already in the intro, but you please listen to the first episode that Kath and I did together. Uh, it is an extraordinary story. And we essentially talk about how Kath had to learn to walk three times once when she was a kid, baby, and then twice again after some pretty horrific um, you know, injuries. And when I was speaking to you the last time, I knew I had to get a hip replacement. Um, I was just avoiding it like anything. Uh, eventually, it got bad enough that I had to get it done. And uh, look, a low percent of complications doesn't mean no percent of complications. And sure. gu guess who got the complications? Yes. And so it ended up being like a, about a year and a half of really quite a horrible, horrible uh, chronic and persistent pain. And then uh, I've had two more surgeries since. And uh, now I'm on the fifth. So I've got hip number one in my left leg and hip number five in my right leg. And, um, I, uh, cause there was three in between and I'm literally having to learn to walk properly. I'm wow. 49 in two weeks and I I'm, I'm having to think about 47 different cues to make sure I get it right. It's tricky. Yeah. It's really hard because it's not the... The, and basically, it feels like I'm stepping down onto my left leg, even though my legs and are exactly the same length. It's because I've, I've been so long walking, favoring one leg, I'm uh, kind of bit, a bit bent out. And it's not the injury that or the surgery that is causing the problem. It's the the way that I'm adjusting my gait that's causing the problem. Like bits of my body that have nothing to do with my hip are killing me because yeah. I'm, I'm walking completely wrong. Yeah, wow. I can't walk and I literally can't walk and chew gum at the same time because I'm thinking so much. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry to hear that. That's oh, right. Okay. That's yeah. all right. Literally a step at a time. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's literally, all Literally one step at a time, yeah. And my, you know, I've got some wonderful people who are helping me through. I didn't have to do inpatient rehab like you did, but I found that it's when I'm trying to remember the 27 separate cues, then I just get overwhelmed and I get like, oh, it's never going to get better. And I, I start to the catastrophization, you know, that it begins like it, I'm never going to be able to run around. And then one of the people that's helping me, he drew a picture of a foot on a wall and he says, put your pressure here and no pressure there and come see me in two weeks. It's like, that's it. I said, that's it. And it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting how if we if we can simplify something, if we try because overthinking can be a real problem, can't it? Uh, absolutely. I think well, I, a lot of my life has become so much easier when I've simplified it. Just strip it back to first steps. 
then follow the next and all that kind of stuff. But I love that that's the advice he gave you, but that's also the advice that worked. Yeah. Maybe you're a visual learner, not a, you know, listener. Oh, very much. Uh, yeah. Very much. Since I, since the pr- proliferation of audiobooks, my my ability to in- in- inhale information has increased enormously. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, because the reading stuff is sometimes quite, quite a trick. Yeah. So luck- lucky I got the audio version of your story for. <laughs> yeah. So it made it made going through a book a lot easier because I'm like, oh yeah, this is all very familiar. I, I felt like the second part of the Back to the Future too. I'm like, yeah, I, I know this stuff. There. <laughs> <laughs> it's super. It's su- super good. Since we spoke last, you were talking about the foundation that you'd set up and the programs that you'd put in place. You write about it in the book, but you started implementing those programs and you started, you know, working with people. And then there's a there was a global pandemic. There still is a global pandemic. How did you pivot into into that? And how did you find people using the work that you do to help them through that? Yeah, it was super interesting. I reckon the last time we caught up you know, I was probably at 200,000 acts of kindness on the website for Kindness Factory as a whole. And then was traveling the world as a motivational speaker and really got stopped in my tracks. I'd been, you know, flown bells and whistles to New York to meet with probably one of the biggest companies in the world. And I just assumed probably because of the price and all that kind of stuff and and the bells and whistles that are being thrown into it, that it was like an all-staff conference. And I got there and and this assistant, lovely lady sort of said, I'll take you on up to the CEO's office and just assumed it was a bit of a briefing. You know, you've spoken around uh, like lots of stages and stuff. You sort of you know, get the ins and outs of the organization, pressure points, all that kind of stuff so that you can deliver the best possible, in the best possible way on stage. And, you know, 10 minutes turned into half an hour and, and an hour later there's a knock on the door and it's the assistant coming back and she's saying, okay, well, that's time's up. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll show you the way out. And I just thought she meant to, you know, an amphitheater where I'd set up for this talk. And and she said, um, okay, well, here it is. Just sign out there. Um, off you go. Great to see you. All that kind of stuff. It was wonderful to meet you. And I, I was like, what, what do you mean? Where am I setting up for this talk? Because that's the whole reason I've come here. And, and she said, no, what, what do you mean? I said, oh, well, where's the talk? Like, where are all the people? And and she said, no, 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 you're done. That's why we, it was for that reason. It was a one-on-one thing. Wow. And I was like, what? Um, and I was like, I didn't know. I'm pretty sure. What? Like, and I was so confused. And um, turns out, yeah, the CEO had heard I had this great story and just wanted to hear it. And I was like, okay. Uh, but honestly, like, I don't think, I mean, it wasn't like it was an, a, an extreme adversity that happened. I felt very lost. I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. This isn't why I went through all the stuff I went through and pursued this career. And I was almost like scratching my head going, well, what do I do? I'm in New York. Thankfully, I had a few days that I'd teed up a few other meetings in the days following and stuff like that. And I started walking my way toward my hotel and just walked past the school. And I was like, well, I wonder if they'd want to hear the story. I'm here. I'm an Australian. Maybe it's of interest to them. So I buzzed on the intercom and I said, look, um, they, they let me in. I said, look, I'm, I'm from Australia. I've got a very unique story. You can Google it. Um, I'm here. I've been flown here. Um, I'd love to just share my story with your kids, with the students. Is that something you'd be up for? And they Googled it and they're like, wow, um, that's that's incredible. Um, we would love you to, but how much is it? And I said, no, 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 for free. Like, thankfully, it's been covered. And they said, can you come back tomorrow? And I said, I can. Yeah, what time? And so sorted all that out. And the next day I spoke in front of these kids. And um, that's when I realized that, I guess the, the the most important audience for me to get in front of or for my story to be in front of was actually kids because they're the ones that are going to implement all the change that we want to see in the world. So, of course, it's a privilege that I get to share my story with adults and they're inspired and, and of course, they want to change and do all those sorts of things and, and incorporate kindness as much into their lives. But kids seem to just get it and they just do it really quickly. And so I made a deal with myself back then for every sort of corporate event I did that paid my way, put food on the table, all that kind of stuff that I would uh, give a free school talk essentially in exchange for that. And hopefully it would be in the local area. So if I got booked for a talk in regional Orange, cool, I'll do that. And then I'll go into the school and do that. And word traveled very quickly. And I had a backlog of 600 schools reach out to go, when are you coming to us? And we heard it's amazing, but also free or we'll pay you and all this kind of stuff. And it got very hard to manage very quickly, um, which was a great problem to have. But 
thankfully for me, my paths crossed with uh, with Kaplan, who are a global education provider. And I did a keynote for those guys and they said, um, well, how could we help in a more meaningful way? And I shared that predicament with them. I said, look, I've got all these schools. I'm one person. It's not scalable. Is there a way that you could almost help me draft something that could be implemented into schools that doesn't yeah. even have to rely on my story? Because it needed to be bigger than one person in their story. So they said, okay, we'll, we'll give you access to a couple of academics to start and you can snowball with them and see what we learn. So we got together and I guess the predicament I presented them with was if I had to break kindness into 13 pieces, 13 being the number of years of schooling that someone would go through from kindergarten to year 12, mm. what would the pieces be that, that add up to kindness? So I said, give us a couple of days. And two days later, I get this inbox message, uh, 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 email saying, um, we think they're these 13 themes. However, we would suggest that you combine two of them, mindfulness and meditation, because from a teaching perspective, they're quite similar. So ended up being 12 attributes of kindness. And they're themes like perspective, empathy, compassion, gratitude, self-acceptance, et cetera. But Trust being one of those attributes looks very different to a five-year-old as to what it does an 18-year-old. So how do I teach these things in an age-appropriate way? Yeah. So then we employed a a curriculum writer, so a a doctor in early childhood education, um, who ended up coming up with those activities and all that kind of stuff. So the kindness curriculum was born. um, Wow. And there was no... So it's completely free. It's still completely free for parents, teachers, whomever wants to download any of that content. And I never wanted to preclude any child from having access to it. Um, So I I took that to 60 schools in May of 2020. So it was supposed to be a 12-month project. We ended up condensing it into five as COVID come out. I was hearing from Mm. people who heard it was in the works, parents, teachers, uh, hey, I'm about to kill my kids. They're at home. They're finished their schoolwork by 10. What have you got? So we fast-tracked it rolled it out to the 60 schools that had asked for it in May 2020. Um, and within a year, we were in 2,000 schools and and now that's clicked over 3,000 uh, since the pandemic's well, still going, as we mentioned. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's been amazing. So it's essentially just free resources for teachers. It's aligned to the Australian curriculum. Um, so you don't have to pick between teaching science and collaboration, for example. Thankfully, the curriculum writer was able to combine the two elements, academic and social and emotional skills. So I think that's why it's been quite effective and um, rolled out as as broadly as it has. And that then prompted us to do it in the US. So we're operational in the US as well. Um, and and it's soon to be the UK as well. So, but of course, you know, adults are still a target audience and we want adults to be as kind as possible and they're, they're the decision makers and all that kind of stuff. So uh, offer sort of lots of corporate stuff as well that are based off the 12 themes in the book and all that kind of stuff as well. So it's, it's been a – when was the – we met in 2018 maybe? Something or? like that, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's been a, a wild ride, bloody busy, <laughs> yeah. but um, head down kind of, yeah, just get going and all that kind of stuff. But it's been it's been amazing actually to see the kids. That's incredible, Kath. That's, so yeah. hang on, let me, let me get this straight. So it was like 6,000 schools around the world access this. And it, am I right when you say it doesn't cost them anything? Doesn't cost them a cent. So wow. that that's something that I'm tremendously proud of. Um, more so, and and that's purely down to the generosity of, of Kaplan. So we co-created that, and they were able to say, "Well, we believe in this as much as you do." We do offer different packages. So I think I've done 50 schools already this year uh, for teacher workshops, which is a paid service. Yeah, on. right. So that just sits. We call that the Kind School Network. Yeah, uh, and the curriculum sits in part of that ecosystem that's completely free. But if you want additional things that cost time and money. So at home, I could just look up Kaplan and find this. No, no, you just type in. So if you want to take Wolfie through any of it, which he'd be more than old enough. He's three and a half, you reckon? Yeah, yeah. So it's the the first learning activities are, you know, of course, birth. They're a little blob, aren't they? Not not to be disrespectful, but... No, they're blobs. They blob, they poo, they vomit, they wee, they sleep. That's it. Yeah. So they're probably not taking in too much then, but by the age of sort of 18 months, you're pretty safe with it. Um, Yeah. And it's just www.thekindnesscurriculum.com. Unbelievable. What What a gift. And this is the thing that I think, like, for example, from the CEO down through me all the way, you know, down to people who are that age who are yet to be exposed to that, we sort of have this idea that kindness is transactional. Yeah. You know, and and what happens to us when we think we're being kind, but it's actually transactional? What, what, what have you found? What's the difference? Yeah, I mean, I... 
how do you define kindness would be probably a good one to tap into this question. Yeah, I, you know, for some people. Do a favor for someone, you know, like help you out, like, carry, you know, carry a bag for someone. Yeah. I mean, I think kindness is probably more when you don't expect anything in return. Um, yeah. And so often kindness is interwoven with niceness. And I guess my secret mission thing that keeps me up at night when I'm thinking creatively is how do I detach niceness from kindness in that, yes, it's nice to be kind, but there is a very big difference between being nice and and being being kind. You know, it's the ability to have a hard conversation. So actually one of my mentors heads up a very big company and the mentee, i.e. me, became the mentor in in this conversation that we're having. He sort of got on a conversation I could just tell he was flat. And I said, what's going on? And he said, oh, I got some pretty poor feedback from one of my direct reports, like a senior leader. I said, all right. And to preface this, since he met me, heard me on a stage, he's got a slogan in America. They've got like a footnote and it's got, you know, their personal slogan or whatever it is. And his is work hard, be curious, be kind. And kind came in as a result of us meeting, which I was really proud of. And he said, essentially, Kath, I got called unkind. Oh, I was like, oh, wow, that would really rock your boat. I disagree. I think you're a very generous and kind man. But what happened? And he said, um, he said I was just being honest. And he throws his hands up like that. And I was like, oh, I know what happened here. And I said, oh, did you just deliver some pretty brutal truths to this person? He said, yeah, it was, it was brutal honesty. I had to be. Like, she needed to hear it. So that's kind. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is. I think that's the difference between being kind and being nice. Nice would be you're doing you're doing perfectly fine, nothing to worry about, but then two months later sacking them. Kind is giving them the honest and factual truth about areas they can work on. But I said, I think what you've missed a little bit here is you sometimes need to pair honesty, which is actually one of the 12 attributes, with humility or compassion or empathy. And it lands a lot better then. So an example of that would be, hey, um, you did this and it resulted in this. It was a really poor outcome for the company. Pairing that with humility would look like this. Ten years ago, I was in your position, made a huge stuff up, costed the company thousands of dollars, learned this from it, blah, blah, blah. Immediately, you're putting a person on the back foot going, oh, sorry, on like in a very safe space going yeah. to them, almost disarming them, saying, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not expecting you to be perfect, but here's something that you can work on to be better in the future. I think that's the difference between being kind and being nice, but you need to be skillful and emotionally in tune with yourself and others when doing that. But when we get it right, it can be truly transformative for a person and allow them to grow as well. But I guess I really haven't answered the question about transactional kindness. (laughs) Interestingly, someone said- No, I think you have because you defined it like being the difference between kind and being nice. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're two different things, being kind- for you know the way you talk about it that being kind is like you're not expecting anything back and being being nice maybe maybe you're expecting something maybe you're expecting something back maybe i think we spoke about this last time but i'm it's actually wild like today we're speaking on the the very day if we go american time this is the day uh where 13 years ago i woke up and went i i don't think i can ever drink again because it that what happened last night keeps happening and I can't stop it from happening no matter how many times I've tried, I'm going to have to stop. And that was 13 years ago, uh, today, actually. So it's my sober sober birthday today, a big part of the sobriety fellowship that I am uh, aligned with is uh, service and being of service. And I think it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on this because I got told early on, uh, you've got to be of service. I'm, you know, Alcoholism is a disease of the selfish. And so I was like, what do you mean I've got to fucking... And I said, listen, if it's convenient, it doesn't count. Yeah, okay. And look, for for me, I found that to be extraordinarily powerful because it it made me put myself second. Is that tough though? I mean, a lot of people at the moment, and I guess it's this is a completely individual thing, but you know, how many must just be the social media pages I follow, but, you know, the importance of boundary setting and looking mm. out for yourself first. I mean, the old analogy of whenever we get onto a plane, the first message we hear is the safety one. In case of emergency, put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. Yeah. Um, we can't help others unless we've helped ourselves. Was that hard to, for some people, a natural thing is to look after others first, self-sacrifice, yeah. et cetera. There's so many theories about that, why, where that comes from, childhood, et cetera. 
I think it's because by the time you get into those meetings, you have been just on a destructive path that is purely focused upon drinking and using and everyone and everything else has been destroyed and put second purely wow. in the service of I need to get this substance into my body. Yeah. And so it's kind of forcing you to stop putting yourself and your needs first for just a second here and turn up early, set up some chairs, go and give that person a ride to the train station if they need it. Go and go around to their house and help them move their couch. I know that you're going to, yes, you'll miss that thing that you wanted to do, but go around and help them. And every time, I would grumble on the way, but the moment that it began, that just it lifted, you know, and the, the same goes for in that particular fellowship, there's a, and it weirded me out at first because when I, I first started, people were like, what's your phone number? I'm like, I don't know you. I'm not giving you my phone number. And then someone took me aside and said, um, "It's they're giving you their number or asking for yours so they can call you if they need to or you can call them if you need to. And uh, I would reluctantly at first call people and say, look, I'm so sorry. I just need to speak to someone. They're like, you don't even understand. You are helping me so much by letting me get out of my head and my bullshit to talk to yeah. you for five minutes. Wow. So, so thank you even though I've walked out of work and, you know, people are waiting on a meeting or whatever. And I've, that is a really, it's a huge part of, of staying, uh, you know, in this space. Um, and it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of interesting to push, to, you know, because by the time you get there, all, all these 12 things that you've talked about, they've got self, no self-acceptance, nah, self, no self-worth, no perspective at all. It's only about humility. Nope. <laughs> they even say, they say, find humility before humility finds you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good saying. Yeah. And yeah. if I could, if I could found me, I'll tell you that for nothing. <laughs> uh, gratitude, absolutely amazing. Because by the time I got in there, I, my brain was not looking in gratitude. It was just looking in pessimism. And so I'd train my brain to look for the negative in everything rather than the positive in everything. Not mindful at all. Not positive. Doesn't want to work with anybody. Didn't care about anybody. No empathy. Completely distrustful. Not funny to be around. Lied all the time. No honesty and compassion. Forget about it. You know, the exact opposite of all 12 things that you talked about. Yeah. Um, but when I look at those 12 things, self-acceptance, self perspective, humility, gratitude, mindfulness, positivity, collaboration, empathy, trust, humor, honesty, and compassion. If you find a human that's got those 12 things, at least in an amount that is recognizable, that's a pretty awesome human. But, you know, surely those levels, even on you, Kath, even, though, even on you, surely those levels go up and down. Oh, yeah, I think... The most beautiful thing about being a human is understanding that none of us are perfect. Like a lot of people say to me, "Are you the kindest person in Australia?" Or on the, no, absolutely not. I have moments where I'm like, I'm shitty at this, and I'm so put out by having to wait or impatient or whatever. Even uh, halfway through the writing process, I got, you know, it made a lot of sense. I got diagnosed with uh, ADHD, which made so much sense to me. But I'm like, oh, this is why I have so much impulsivity. The book that I wrote about, it was a kindness journey that I embarked on for two months that you know about where I lived on nothing but the kindness of strangers. That was a decision that I made in 10 seconds flat, went on social media, put it out there. Thankfully, a really good one, a really positive one for me, but very impulsive, all those sorts of things. But So I am by no means perfect. Interestingly, when you consider those 12 attributes and we spoke about pandemics, you know, the one that comes to mind for everyone probably right now is uh, COVID, of course, because it's fresh in everyone's minds and it's been so destructive to our society. No one actually knows that we're in a different pandemic uh, that's been running simultaneously pre-COVID and continues to do so and it will do so for longer, much long after COVID, which is a loneliness epidemic that we're in. So we are the most technically connected society through our devices, phones, social media, etc. Yet the generation that are now coming through are the most loneliest they've ever been. So social connection is something that a lot of our youth are finding very hard to come by. And even myself, I'm 35 because of technology. And, and there's so many wonderful elements to it. I think FaceTime throughout the COVID pandemic saved lives because people were able to see each other in real time and have that connection point back. But we've forgotten how to have real conversations. People aren't really understanding how to do that anymore and aren't feeling comfortable or vulnerable, vulnerable enough to do it. And I would say, say that the 12 attributes, we haven't done enough research on it. Not only do they hopefully, you know, increase the kindness in communities and the resilience in kids and adults alike, as well as our well-being and, and things like that, 
But I would say it's the perfect formula and ingredient for finding and maintaining stronger social connections as well. So when you consider those 12 attributes and you think of a human being that had all of those attributes as part of their armor and, and part of who they are and their DNA and all those sorts of things, I would say that they know how to have a conversation that matters and they know how to connect socially and they know how to have respectful relationships, et cetera. So I think what we'll find in some of the more longitudinal research, which of course we've only been around or doing this these kind of programs for two years, is that a lot of the unnecessary suffering that occurs, so the man-made adversity, things like domestic violence, gun violence in America, bullying in schools, um, war, terrorism, et cetera, they're huge problems that we probably can't start to even pick apart. But what I would say is that when we start to have these conversations, a lot of those man-made adversities will start to shift down if we've got human beings that know how to conceptualize conversations that count respectful relationships, boundaries, all those sorts of things as well. So I guess there's lots of different things that these attributes will add to from a skills-based perspective that we can put into our emotional armor and our emotional skill set and processing and stuff like that. But yeah, I guess the idea was to increase the kindness that decreases the man-made adversity um, and suffering that goes on in the world as well. I love, I love how massive a goal you have. A, a <laughs> just not even a goal. I love the scale of your vision, Kat. I just love the scale. Yes, no, I think we can have less war if we do this. Fuck yes. <laughs> Not, oh, I reckon I could get a couple of speaking gigs. And, oh, you know, oh, I might get another book out of it. Oh, oh, I might help kids share the slide of the playground a bit better. No. Like, I, less war. That's what we're going to go for. Fuck yes. Don't stop. Well, it's ma- you've yeah. got to. You've got to. Just a moment away to have a bit of a chat with you about how you can get in touch with me if you want to say, hey, it's real easy. You can um, email me, send osher email at gmail.com. That's it. Send us your email at gmail.com. You can also find us on Discord. There's a, a Discord community, a lovely and growing Discord community all around the show. I'll put the link in the show notes. Come and see us. We're playing in Newcastle on the 3rd of June for NTNN NNN. It's our fake news show. Well, real news show, but fake news. Danny Clayton was our, our guest star the other night and he said, oh, I thought it was a fake news show. No, it's a fake news show. That's it, Danny. That's what it was or is. Jeez, it was fun. He was very good. He was very good. John Glover got his shirt off the other night. John Glover got his shirt off, patched someone, sang Kylie Minogue. Damn, it was fine. It was a fine show the other night. It was really cool. I'd love you to come and be a part of it. June 3rd in Newcastle. Come check it out. We're back with more from Casco Shell in a moment. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Over the huge timescale of human history, it'll go like that. But we're in the middle of it right now. We're in a time when the influence of, you know, what had taken, you know, for better or worse, our society a long way, which was the influence of the church and the compass, uh, essentially the guidance compass of that church, depending on, uh, you know, who your favorite God is. Many of these things that you're speaking about were baked into the way that uh, certain cultures based around these religions worked in, uh, you know, like, you know, when you talk about like in, in, you know, Hindu religion or Buddhism or Judaism, Islam, Christianity, they're all there. They just come with a, you know, and if you don't, you go to hell or, you know, <laughs> you know, this is just who we are, you know, yeah. we, we, we're kind but as we've gotten more secular over time, uh, and right now in Australia, we've never been more secular, that kind of guidance isn't quite there as much. So to have something like this show up and go, it's cool. 
it's cool. We got you. Like at the core of all that, there's this, you know, we're all humans and we've, you know, found these. It might not be all of them eventually. You know, someone, whoever the next yeah. Kathy is might go, hey, I've got 12 more. Great. Uh, but these 12, like at least a, a blueprint. And it might not even, like if you got raised by people who, they were doing the best they could. No kid comes with a, a guidebook. No, fa- like parenting doesn't come with a construction manual, despite what Instagram will tell you. Like it's just whatever. Like it's just, you just literally make, every parent is making it up as they go along. And if you got spat out into adulthood without kind of knowing, say you, you got three of these, you know, what an exe- what an incredible advantage in your life to just kind of take a look at it and go, oh yeah. I learned how to cross the street. I learned how to take a phone call. What is okay? Here's here's nine other things that I can do to, you know, cohese with the people around me, a bit better. That's fantastic, Kath. What a joy! I want to do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take you through it for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at the, I went to a, a thing the other day. Um, Hugh McKay, I'd never heard him speak. He's, you know, one of, probably Australia's most loved researcher with, from a data perspective and socio perspective, and he's just incredible. I'd love to tap into his brains a little bit more. And I heard him speak about the importance of kindness connection, uh, but it was in regards or with regards to, I guess, the increase in suicide. It's a, it's a huge issue in not just Australia, around the globe. Stats are only going up. They're not going down. We're pouring more, more, more and more money, resources, time, et cetera, into it. Yet the stats keep going up. So why is that? So he's got a few theories on that, of course. And I don't want to put words into his mouth, look his stuff up, all that kind of stuff. But it's it's a really interesting thing to think about. Um, why we why the trends continuing to go up, not down, yet the agenda that we're pushing in school, certainly in Australia, is more academic output for smarter kids and less focus on the social and emotional regulation skills that it appears that they tend to be struggling with because the stats are going up. So why aren't we pouring any or more money into the preventative space? And this isn't a plug to give us cash or anything like that, but there are yeah. many organisations out there that focus in that preventative space that are trying to give kids these skills so that when we're adults and we're in the workplace and struggling and with the first time that we face, like a lot of people talk about, you know, resilient kids so we go through life nothing happens we've got a great mum and dad school's fantastic very limited touch in having to flex a resilience muscle because no adversity struck us we've been quite protected and then for example a young boy um you know gets a girlfriend she breaks up with him 12 months later it's the first heartache he ever feels and suddenly it's all too hard I've never experienced any emotion like this it's overwhelming boom he's gone the next day Awful. So there's a lot of this stuff that's occurring that we don't know how to flex all these muscles that are going on emotionally in our bodies. And these are just skills that we can learn along the way so that when we have, I believe everyone always asks me, you know, what's the, what do you think the most important attribute is? And I used to say, that's like picking your favorite child or nephew or whatever. Hard to say because when combined, I think they're very powerful. But now I probably say, I think self-acceptance is the most important. Because the first step in self-acceptance is self-awareness, understanding ourselves, what makes us tick, who we are, how we are perceived within the world and what we're putting out there. And, and when we understand that, I think that's vitally important for anyone, kids, adults, whomever it is that you're talking about, regardless of their backgrounds, their experiences, life or otherwise. Um, not many people know who they are and what makes them tick. And I think why I'm able to now sort of say I know who I am and I have a good self-awareness is probably because I've been through a shit ton of adversity. And I don't reckon if I hadn't have gone through that, I'd know who I am, what makes me tick. I think, you know, when you're pushed to the depths of despair in a struggle, I've had, you know, two mental breakdowns, all that kind of stuff. And I'm actually proud to say that I've worked through them and and had I, I had to push myself to corners of myself to really figure out who I am though. And now make no apology for that. Uh, I know I'm not perfect. I'm not everyone's cup of tea either. Like some people can take or leave me and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't bother me. But I think that builds up a grittiness and a resilience in us. So the good thing about this curriculum is that you get taught skills along the way. So you don't have to endure adversity to get self-acceptance and awareness in the process. Yeah. And I think that's the most important one for sure. For people listening, if we're going to go there, what, can you walk me through self-acceptance? Because for me... A huge thing that stands in the way of self-acceptance is shame. Oh, big time. Yeah, from from all walks. I, this might be very controversial. I got asked something about, you know, youth the other day. 
I can't remember, I can't remember verbatim the exact question, but it, what is it standing in the way of youth flourishing today? Um, I'll say it because I've got self-acceptance and I, I believe this. I think sometimes it's parental pressures that stand in the way of self-acceptance for a lot of kids out there because your perception is reality. You grow up, you've got this little tight unit of family, hopefully for some kids. Some kids don't have that luxury um, more often than not, and this is why I'm passionate about the curriculum. If they're not getting that through like, you know, love and care through parents, then they're getting it via teachers. So I always sort of say to teachers, your job is to make this child feel seen, heard and valued as much as it is to teach them English or science and literature and all those sorts of things. But from a parent perspective, you sort of see this little ecosystem in a house that they're brought up in and and you learn, like they're little sponges, as you know, I'm sure Wolfie's copying you and his mum and all those sorts of things. And Kath, it's the worst. I say it all the time. The hardest thing about parenting isn't the sleep. No, the hardest thing about parenting is that they don't do what you tell them, they do what you show them. Yep, there you go. And that means you have to be like, fuck, okay, and you see it in them and go, damn it, and that it's the worst when they say stuff that you don't like about yourself. Yeah, Because then you're like, yeah. fuck, now, now I've got to train it out of them. <laughs> and you've got to do the work on yourself though, right? Totally. It's a self-correcting mechanism. It's the worst, but I love it. I, I bet it's like I, I'm not a mum. I'd, I'd love to be one one day, but I, I'm sure it would be like holding up a mirror almost. Absolutely. Yourself, like you're seeing this little person do exactly what you've been doing and you're like, why are they doing that? And then it's like, it's because I do that shit. Yep. So like you see yep. like, you know, young girls calling themselves fat, which they're just a very healthy weight or underweight even. And it's like, well, it's probably because their mum's lived in diet culture their whole life or stuff like that. And yeah. again, this is a controversial topic, which I'm I don't sure- think you, for me, Kath, you know, I'm aligned here. You don't have to be worried about this uh, at all, because I think it's a, it's a tough thing to do for a parent, but it's, it is a kind thing to do as a parent. But I, I, just to get us back to the idea of shame and yeah. self-acceptance, because to accept myself, you know, I'm happy to talk about myself, to accept myself, I have to accept that inside me, there's a ton of shame for, you know, even now, even, you know, in sobriety and going to see all my therapists and everything, I still fucking make people's lives shit sometimes. And I'm, ah, oh, it's shit. And I, and I hate that about myself. Yeah. And I feel quite shameful that I can't get it right and that I cause others pain. How, how would you walk someone past that, you know, shame towards the acceptance? Yeah. We all have it. Like I've had it too. But if you listen to the first episode that we did together, you'd understand that in 2012, I lost my my partner to suicide. So that's that's over t- just over it's about ten and a half years ago now. And I would love to say that I stand here as a person who has completely understood that process, who has completely overcome it, um, who is thriving in life, and, and I'm doing pretty well and all that kind of stuff. But I still feel a feel a, a deep sense of shame around that, surrounding that. And I'm connected in like back, you know, when I was starting the processing journey of that, had a wonderful psychologist, still use one now, because our mind is wired, I think, as human beings, one to connect with others. But through that connection, we're learning what do they think of, the, of me? What does the world think of me? What do I think of myself as well? And I think there's multi-layers to that as well in, in unpacking it. Um, so that's just a live example of, of something that I've had to work through and it's ebbed and flowed. It's been a roller coaster of emotional, of emotional turmoil for me. To accept that for me and sometimes I guess we're talking about the topic of suicide. So I hear from a lot of people who have suffered similar losses in their life and they say to me, how do you deal with the anger? And when I first got asked that, I was like, what are you talking about? What anger? The anger that you feel towards your partner for yeah. passing away by suicide and I, was, yeah. I don't have any of that I, I I genuinely didn't have any anger toward him for passing away I had a little bit of anger toward myself for not seeing it coming why did I not see it coming where, where were the warning signs what did I do as his romantic partner that has led him to this decision and took on all this responsibility so that so the anger that I felt was toward myself which that came with a bucket load of shame what have I done was I not enough um will I ever be enough for anyone because of this moment? Um, because is this a track record of things? And and now how I have to conceptualise it is say, I mean, this is a detailed response because with suicide comes complexities for yeah. sure. For me at the start, I had to sort of say to myself, you know, the, the questions that I'd rack my brain with were, uh, why didn't I see it coming? 
in all those photos we've got together and he's smiling in them, was he happy? Because I was bloody happy in that moment. I don't think he was because it led to this moment and, and all, and you just overthink it and your brain just sends you into this spiral of complete torture. Um, how I would answer that now is I have to believe that the love that we shared in the moment was true and as true as I believed it to be and still believe it to be. And really now I had to sort of conceptualize it and let go of some of the shame by saying, we all have little secrets in our life where we're, we do, I do things like I, I've never been an, an alcoholic or anything like that. Um, nothing to, to that extreme, but I've, I've dabbled with, you know, alcohol misuse a little bit throughout my struggle when I started turning toward alcohol. And thankfully me, thankfully for me, it was a friend who intervened who said, I need you to be a bit better than this and to stop doing that because I'm extremely worried about you, which snapped me right out of it. Right. So she was able to catch me before I fell in that sense. But there has been so many moments of mistakes that I've made along the path that, you, you know, you wake up at three in the morning, oh my God, why did I do that? That's so cringy. Like, and it's, it's all got to do with shame. Yeah. And so for losing Jim, I'd like to say that I'm in a place where I've completely accepted it and all that kind of stuff, but I don't think I ever will. And that's part of the journey of loss and grief, certainly with suicide. But for me, what I had to say to myself or the narrative that I started to tell myself was I've got little secrets that I never told him that I've never told anyone for that matter that I would take to my grave that no one would ever know about me. And I think every individual on the planet would safely say the same. So I had to say to myself, what he chose to do and the decisions that he made as much as they still pain me and 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 kill me and and make my gut turn and all those sorts of things they were really none of my business and i had to accept it in that way i think the same can be said for a, a lot of different things that go on for people if if the shame comes from self judgment but then the judgment of others because we're innately born to connect mm. we really just need to get out of our own head a little bit sometimes and say whatever that person thinks of me they don't really know me because I've still got things that I haven't told anyone else or the world around me and all those sorts of things. They don't understand or have the context to su- support or surround their decision. So it's none of my business. And I also have to understand that I'm not really everyone's cup of tea as well. That's extraordinary hearing you share that. Thank you so much for for being so so open to share that. Yeah, all good. At, as you did, I also heard that Within that self-acceptance, within the recognition of the shame, for me, if I'm not taking responsibility for it, then it's a problem. If I feel it and go, okay, now what do I do about How can I be a part of, I need, what's this? If I'm in action around that, that is the thing that makes it, you know, less of a punish or hopefully less of a punish on others. But it's not saying self-acceptance, yeah, I'm a fuckwit, deal with it. Like, no, <laughs> that's not it. No. It's, I'm a bit of a fuckwit. I'm really working on it. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but that, no, but I think that's a perfect summary of it because, again, like, it's what I say to a lot of, especially girls, they can be, well, girls and boys, they're so bloody cruel to each other. But yeah. from a body image perspective for girls, I'm like, the world's made up of 8 billion people. If we're all the same, life would be bloody boring. Like it, that's the most incredible thing about life yeah. is that we're different and we get to learn and grow together and do all that. But I don't know why when you were saying all that, I, I saw this sort of statement somewhere. So I, you know, was diagnosed with PTSD back in 2012 as a result of loss and all those sorts of things as well. And part of that comes, you know, you get triggered a lot by certain reminders and it sends you down this emotional, I don't need to tell you, but yeah, sends you down a pretty emotional path of destruction at times and things like that. And I saw something the other day which really resonated with me. Your triggers might not be your fault, i.e. something external happened to contribute to your trauma or whatever it is. However, they are your responsibility to heal from. It's not the world's job to tiptoe around your triggers. And for me, that just meant, yeah, I it kind of resonated with me because yes, trauma will happen, adversity will strike and it's going to impact us. And that's really hard and sad and all those sorts of things, but it's not everyone else's job to go, you know, of course it's lovely when people are considerate and you don't want to like throw things in people's face, but it's also not the world's job to tiptoe around our triggers. It's our job to heal from them or to start to process them so that we can cope with them a little bit better as well. And I think that is, is part of that comes from self-awareness, but also self-acceptance as well. I accept that I have flaws in my DNA now, and I have done in the past as well. 
it's my job to work through them so that I can grow and help others or so that people don't have to tiptoe around me and be different or have to accommodate my needs more than their own. Oh, and also give you some give you some agency and give you some power in your experience of the world, like understanding that if I put this work in, this stuff that used to really bother me will be less bothersome. In fact, I might even enjoy it. And that's in my power. And when things, as you know, I don't have to tell you, but the rehab thing is something that, because it's a physical thing and like bits of my body don't work properly and muscles aren't turning on, uh, making life very difficult. Even the smallest little rehab move that I can make, it hurts like fuck. When I when that muscle turns on, I'm like, ah, I am playing a role in me walking straight again. Yes, I'm no longer being crushed by this big thing that is not that I am powerless in the face of. I now have this tiny little bit of control. Yeah, and it's just putting those little you know bits together over time changes the experience of it. Um, yeah. And it's super, super important to feel that because otherwise you're just, you're at the whim of the bloody world. Yeah. Well, one thing that, you know, used to frustrate me a little bit in uh, as an inpatient in rehab, you know, you're not an inpatient in rehab if you're doing well, are you? So no. <laughs> having my, broken my back and told that I wouldn't walk on two separate occasions. Oh, and you're going to lose your leg, by the way, Kath. Don't forget, don't forget you're going to lose your leg. <laughs> All of that. Yeah, you know, a common question I get, like uh, the book come out and there was an article um, that was about my rehab experience. And so suddenly I get this influx of people in my inboxes, emails, et cetera, mm. who were going through rehab, um, have gone through it, haven't done so well with their recovery, et cetera. So I'm getting flooded with a lot of deep stuff here. And it was like, but how did you do it and why can't I? And it's really tough one for me because it sounds like tough love and all that kind of stuff. But one thing that used to infuriate me, and I say this so respectfully because with your body going through as many changes as you do to be a rehab patient, the inpatient, as I said, you're not there because you're healthy. So depression starts to set in. I want mm. my old life back. I want to be able to walk. Mm. I want to be able to do things differently like my body used to, et cetera. And I get that, like, and I have so much empathy and compassion for it and probably qualified for it myself. You know, I was a professional athlete, next minute I can't walk, I'm in rehab, shit, what do you do? This is tough. Um, but probably very quickly realized that the only person getting me out of that environment was me. So, yes, there was doctors and physios and all that kind of stuff, but essentially I had to make the choice every single day to get out of bed and do the work, like you were saying, very slightly, very incrementally, take a tiny step every day to get a little bit better. And when they add up, it starts to have a big impact. And next minute, you're out of there in 12 months, not 24 months, for example. And what used to irritate me a lot is people would say to me in rehab, who had a far better prognosis than me, God, Kathy, you're so lucky it's working for you. And I'd be like, I don't know if it's got much to do with luck, guys. Like, I, And it would be so hard for me to go, just get out of bed and do it today. Like, get out of bed. You're in control of this. you just got to bloody try. And it sounds pretty brutal when you put it like that sometimes, but I just sort of feel like the worst thing that you can do in a situation like that, physically or emotionally, having endured lots of different things through life, the worst thing you can do is nothing. I think you've got to try, even as hard as it is and, and the depths of despair that you're in. But when I had a bloody mental breakdown, I remember... I'd started not through recommendation, the practice of gratitude, but that was the catalyst for turning my life around. I remember having a moment where I reflected on all the people who had ever shown up for me in my life, writing down their names on a list and actually going through the process for three hours, calling 30 people to say thanks. Like I was at complete rock bottom, right? I could barely string a sentence together at this moment. It was just so in my head. It wasn't funny. It was a catalyst for turning life around, not that I swallowed a magical pill and everything was amazing, but I knew that I'd be okay. And then I read an article which I was like, that's why that worked. It was it, That was gratitude in action. And it said, if you can write down three things you're grateful for every single day for 21 days in a row, it rewires your brain, you become a much more resilient person, positivity, happiness, et cetera. And when I was at rock bottom, I've still got the bloody list next to my bed because I write down three things. I still do it. So this was in 2013. It happened. The first three things I wrote on that list, and I keep it as a reminder, were uh, I have a pair of lungs, a set of lungs, uh, the ability to breathe, um, and the air is free. And that's where I started. So I didn't have this magical thing where I'm more positive than others and all that kind of stuff. I just took the steps to write down those three things on that day and it snowballed from there. And my life can be shit at times still. I still live with chronic pain. I can't feel one of my legs, all that kind of stuff. 
And I'm not by any stretch saying that I'm amazing. I think the difference sometimes is just trying or just starting and and taking that first important step for sure. I could speak to you all afternoon, Kath, (laughs) uh, but I know you're a very busy person. Thank you for making the book. Thank you for taking the time to write the book. Thank you for putting this curriculum into the world and thank you for being you. Of course, it's a pleasure. I love your work, so big fan. Uh, I'm happy to be back on for sure. That was Kath Cashel. By God. The book is called Kindness, What Surviving on the Kindness of Strangers Taught Me About Perspective, Connection and Happiness. She is just something else. KathCoshell.com. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes for that. Come check us out in Newcastle. Links are in the show notes. There's not, not many tickets left, so it's only a 200-and-something-seater, so get into it. Get into it because uh, I wouldn't want you to miss out. And we're bringing the full team, the full show. You're getting the same show that Melbourne Comedy Festival got. Like, it's the whole fucking thing. We're, we're not, I'm not here to fuck around. It's going to be good. And I'm looking forward to being up in Newey and um, seeing Midflight Brawl. Uh, I haven't seen them live for a while, so they, they're on at three. So check them out. If you haven't got tickets to that yet, they're really good. I love that. That's like... Sam Harris, Huberman, Blind Boy, Midflight Brawl. They're like the four podcasts I, every week. Those are the ones I listen to. And it's really good. It's really, really good. Hey, thanks for being a part of it. Thank you so much to Bree Steele for all the support and research on this show. Andy Marr on audio and video, video post-production. Toe Hyder on all, all the music. And Rachel Barrett, the executive producer. I'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for being a part of it. See you then. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.